Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Welcome to the Beetlejuice Minute, where we discuss Tim Burton's Beetlejuice minute by minute. I'm your host, Julianne Fay, actress and owner of CinemaBliss.com, and my co-host today is Barry Rathbun. I am not an actress. I am more involved in the sound part of making movies. So it is Tuesday, and that means it's minute number 46 over here at the Beetlejuice Minute. In this minute, the Maitlands notice lights flashing in the model, and Barbara goes ahead and says Beetlejuice's name three times. This transports them inside the model and to Beetlejuice's tombstone. My first question is for our special guest this week, who is Mr. Christopher R. Mim, writer, director, filmmaker of Good, Bad, New Old Movies. Did I say that right, Chris? Uh, you said it right, but reversed. It's okay. New Old, Good, Bad Movies. Good, Bad, New Old Movies. It works both ways. <laughs> Basically, 1950s um, drive-in monster movies. And we're glad yeah. that you're back with us again and have not run screaming away from us. <laughs> it's all right. I, I, I'm having a good time. Okay. Excellent. Well, my first question is for you, Chris. As a filmmaker, can you tell us how they do the transition from life-size to the miniature model in an era before CGI special effects existed? It's a combination of sort of a wipe and uh, just a camera movement, really, because they throw the light on, you know, because it's like the camera sort of swooshes to the right and, and sort of pans around to their backs, right? Uh, and then you get this sort of, you know, light that comes out, that comes on, and then it sort of quickly suddenly swings around, continues its swing, and then boom, there they are. They're in this, this set. So it's really just an editing trick. Very old school, actually. You know, it's just... It's, you can you can do a lot of things with cool edits like that where you can um using movement, you know, because the camera's moving, you don't really have a, a chance for your eyes to realize that, oh, they just you know, they switched it out. It's just that there's too much movement and light and blur that it's like suddenly, oh, there they are, they're in the model. Ooh. Yeah, so if there's ever time to watch it frame by frame, it would be going minute by minute, I suppose. I actually did that. Yeah. <laughs> You did. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, you 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 definitely you if you really look, you can pretty much see where they where they switched the the shots, but uh but yeah, it's really well hidden by that flash. Sweet. Right. See, I love all this. That's that's part of the fun of rewatching this movie after so many years is is realizing all the fun stuff that they did knowing that they didn't have all the crazy CGI just at their fingertips like they do today. Makes it even well, more of a creative achievement. And Tim Burton, of course, was, you know, at least then, before, you know, this is the 80s here. I mean, um, you know, he's, he, he grew up, obviously, on stuff like Ed Wood. We talked about Ed Wood uh, in the last installment. He seems like he made a point, especially back then, to try and use old techniques to tell sort of stories his way, but then also to add a... Very straightforward wink and nod to the movies he loved as a kid and that sort of, like using stop motion animation, you know, in, in very obvious ways, uh, which he also did in, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure and stuff like that. You can even see it in, in now that they're in the model set, right? Uh, is that, at least to me, and I've never actually, you know, seen anybody say anything differently, but to, to me, you can see they kind of built that set where they're in the model to look vaguely like the really sort of crappy 
cemetery set that Ed Wood uses on Plan 9 from Outer Space. Did you see any uh, tombstones wiggle? Well, see, that's the thing. It's like there's just there's definitely something about the, just the lighting, too, is suddenly dark, you know? Um, Plan 9, you know, they've, they've edited together footage that some is cl- clearly taken during the day outside, and then suddenly, you know, out, as they're going to this, this cemetery, and then suddenly they're at the grave sites, it's totally pitch black, and it's very obviously a set, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, so there's definitely a feel of the Plan 9 Cemetery in the uh, Beetlejuice's gravesite. And if there is a wiggly, wobbly, wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey um, tombstone moving around, I mean, it is a model, so it kind of fits yes. in, which is right. the difference between Tim Burton and Ed Wood. Ed Wood would be trying to be realistic, and it would look like... Tim Burton's non-realistic model. Right. I also love how the grass doesn't look like, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's fake, and especially in the next scene, you'll you'll see it really looks like it's fake, but that kind of adds oh, yeah. to the whole because it's a model, that makes sense that it would be that right. kind of astroturfy looking. Speaking of which, I have a logistics question. Uh, where did Beetlejuice get the materials to make his neon sign if he's trapped inside the Maitland's model? Like, did the town have a fast food place with his crazy sign and an arrow, and he just kind of, like, painted his name over it? Or does he have you know, magical powers to create okay. that sign? <laughs> here's, here's my theory on that. I actually sort of have one that uh, I'm going to also use as a means with which to plug my own work. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Nicely done. Here's the thing. You know, again, I sort of, I, I spoke a little bit about, just a little bit ago, about you know, Ed Wood and Plan 9 from Outer Space, right? When I was making this movie, I, I made in 2000, I released in 2008 called Cave Women on Mars. Mm-hmm. When I was writing the script, uh, there's a whole thing in there about these tribes of Martian women that are at war with each other. Uh, I had an entire scene where there's this high priestess character and she explains everything to the audience of why these two tribes are at war, right? Right. And I realized after I filmed it that it was the most boring thing in the world. And the problem is, is that I was trying to explain everything down to the last detail because it was like, no, this is good stuff. People are going to want to know this. And then uh, I re-edited it. I redid some of the... I here. I, I was lucky because I had the, the high priestess character be telepathic, so she's not moving her lips. Oh, nice. So after editing it together and really not liking it, I rewrote the scene. And I kept the male actor's dialogue because he's actually speaking with his mouth. And I re-recorded new dialogue for the high priestess that fit with what he was saying. And in the process of doing this, I I scaled it back from like a six and a half minute obnoxious scene down to two, two and a half minute scenes with something coming in between to break it up. Oh, wow. In the process of doing that, I took out all the actual explanation for why they're at war Ah. because I realized it doesn't matter. (laughs) If they're going with it, they're just going to go with it. They're at war. It's right. Well, and that's just it. It It's And it's even played for a joke because... The high priest is about to tell the, 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 the guy the reason. And then we cut away to another character uh, in another area of Mars on the, on, the, on the rocket trying to figure out, trying to find his buddy. Uh, and then it cuts back. And 
it cuts back right to the point where the main the main character guy says, "So that's why they don't get along." And she's like, <laughs> "Yes." So you don't get any of it. But the truth I remember is, that. <laughs> the truth is, is it really doesn't matter. And that was the kind of once I gave myself permission to to do that uh, and just say, you know, it doesn't matter in the greater scheme because at this point, if you've bought into everything else up to this point, uh, something like that. I guess doesn't matter. Uh, if you believe that these characters went to Mars, got off their spaceship, took off their helmets because, hey, look, there's air, uh, and then ran into Martian women who are fighting each other, and there's a high priestess who's telepathic, if you can't accept that they're just at war because, then how is it that you've accepted everything up to that point? Yeah, that is so, an excellent point. <laughs> and to go to your Beetlejuice thing, again, yeah, I mean, we've accepted that they've died, there's an afterlife, there are people who have crazy deaths that stick with them, and they've just been shrunken into a model. I don't think it really matters where all the stuff comes from. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's, well, it's one of those things where it's like, minute well, whatever. Minute. <laughs> well, it's like, whatever you believe, that's probably what it is for the story in your head. It, it works. Like, I think when I was a kid, I looked at it as, like, he kind of has, he kind of has magical powers, right? Oh, yeah. He can do things, uh, and so he created that. Just like, uh, you know, later on, there's the, the, the whorehouse, right? You know, so it's like stuff like that, where it's like, I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves, I'm sorry. But, uh, it's like no, that. I not think everybody watches the movie ahead of time, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> that seems like a really, really, crazy way to watch a movie minute by minute and then hear people discuss it. Yes, we've we've expanded upon that. Is uh, I think I think the correct terminology was you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think I think in my head I just kind of filled in the blanks that quasi magical powers of the afterlife in being such a powerful ghost. Well, he just makes that happen and he makes them puts them through the the ringer of having to, you know, bring him out uh because he's ultimately all about the flash and style, and he's Beetlejuice, so why the hell not? I could totally see him him making them jump through all these crazy hoops when, yeah, he could just pop right in. I mean, obviously we've seen his hand come up through the thing, so it's not, uh, yeah, I definitely subscribe to the notion he's just messing with them. Oh, yeah, he's trying to have some fun. And I also like to, I like to imagine that he found, like, the gargoyles, buried like he's actually a, a grave digger <laughs> and that's how he his tombstone with all the crazy gargoyles on it see and there you go that's and that's why like what i was just saying about how you can kind of fill in the those blanks because ultimately you know it's like whatever works for you because it's not necessarily that important to anything so that's a that's a you know and i i do want to say to plug my movies again there is the scene <laughs> with the fly and the zagnut right yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. In that, he's he's like, hey, got something good for you. When I was making my movie House of Ghosts, one of the actresses uh, by the name of Catherine Hansen, who's in several of my films, her and I kept making jokes about that throughout the, the shooting of the film. The Just the, the hey, I got something good for you. <laughs> uh, that was like a running joke between her and I. And it was because of Beetlejuice and because she absolutely loves the movie, too. Here's the other thing, is that as a nod to that, in my film, The Giant Spider, there is a point where one of the the main character actually says to the spider, hey, look here, I got something good for you. <laughs> On purpose, as a nod to Beetlejuice. 
sweet. That is fantastic. Oh my gosh, no, I totally missed that quote. I'm always listening for the Ghostbusters quotes that you you hide in your movies. Right. Yes, Beetlejuice quote. And uh, The Giant Spider is one of my favorite movies of yours, so that's kind of awesome. What a sweet tie-in to the Beetlejuice Minute. Yay! <laughs> I don't have a whole lot more to say about this particular minute, although... Did There's really not notice, a lot to it. <laughs> did, did anyone else notice the signature tree, though? Yes. All of Tim Burton's gothic movies, there's at least one totally twisted tree, and it's just in plain as day in this minute here. Yeah. To me, too, it plays, it plays again very much like the um, very fake set from Plan 9. Uh, the graveyard set with the trees to me that I, you know, it also, it adds to that feeling of it sort of being a, I think a bit of a nod to the, the set of, uh, on plan nine. Yeah. But yeah, well, you're right. Twisted he's, kept, he's kept those trees in, in quite a few films now too. And it's really big, of course, obviously in sleepy hollow because you've got uh, the ghost actually lives inside the tree, but, uh, Yeah. Okay. I was also going to note that they the sign has Beetlejuice's name twice, and then it pans down to see it a third time on the cemetery. I noticed that too. I was like, clever, clever. Let's see. Oh, also the music. It sounds almost like they're doing jazz riffs because the the, <laughs> the musicians are just kind of going nuts. So it's it's glorious <laughs> chaos, but fun. So glorious chaotic jazz is basically. Beetlejuice's theme whenever he's on screen, eh? Yeah, which which kind of fits because uh, I'm I'm not sure if you were aware, but uh, they originally wanted uh, a couple different other people for the for Beetlejuice, including Sammy Davis Jr. and he was supposed to be a bit more like a hip cat almost in the script. Uh, we'll get there, but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of fun hearing all the different different nods to the original script peek through. Right. Well, on that note, we'll get there coming up soon. But today, we are done with Minute 46. Bye, everybody. Until next time, save us some popcorn, and we'll see you soon at the Beetlejuice Minute.